we're thankful so much <clears throat> for your grace and for your mercy. And God, we're so thankful that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, into this world to die on the cross for our sins so we might be saved through him, uh, through faith and believing in him. And so God, we just pray this morning that you would get me out of the way and that you would have your way here with your word, um, that you would open our hearts to receive your message, that you would open our ears to hear your words, that God, you would open our eyes to see the spiritual truths that are inside this Christmas story. And so, Father, we just pray for your Holy Spirit to move in a mighty way that, that we might be convicted in the heart, that we might um, recognize what the true meaning of joy is, that we might recognize um, your grace and your mercy in our lives and your grace and your mercy in the world and in the Word. So, God, we love you. We thank you so much. We ask for your favor here in this service. Uh, and, and, and also, Lord, we just pray for... For Joanna, this morning as she's not here, she's not well, she can't be with us, and we just ask God for a speedy recovery that you'd be with her, minister to her this morning. We pray for the Hoffmans who aren't here as well this morning as they're with family, and God, we just pray that they would enjoy their time of, of fellowship with their family, that you'd be honored, that you'd be glorified. And so, Father, we're just so grateful for the family that you've given us here in this church. Pray these things in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you found your way to Luke in chapter 2, I'm going to start off this, this sermon by asking you a simple question. What is joy? What is joy? Uh, you know, the definition of joy in the Oxford or in the Webster <clears throat> would say that joy is a feeling of, of great pleasure and great happiness. It's a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. But I want you to know that it's actually so much more than just great pleasure and happiness. And joy is actually so much more than just a feeling. So you got to understand that, that in order to talk about joy as a Christian, which I hope that most of us are here in this room, and, and that as Christians we look um, at the world and the things that go around us, including words, uh, everything else, but we look at it through the lens of this Bible right here because we have a biblical worldview. In order to talk about joy as Christians, we have to talk about grace. So I want you to understand this, that rejoice joy, and grace, they're all derived from the same word in the Greek. They all carry the same root word. However, rejoicing and joy cannot happen, as I said, without their first being grace. So we have to talk about what grace is in order to understand what joy is. We have to talk about what grace is in, under <clears throat> in order to understand how to rejoice. Hey, Estrella, I have a, a bottle of water in my office. Could you grab it for me, please? Thank you so much. I'm about to die. I'm losing my voice and everything else this morning. It's like the one thing that I'm supposed to do is talk, and I'm like, can't even do that right. So forgive me. But <clears throat> So in order to talk about joy, in order to talk about rejoicing, we have to talk about what grace is. And so what grace is, grace is, is, is favor, Grace is to, uh, is to be disposed to, uh, disposed to, to be inclined to. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'm about to die, and you guys don't want to hear me squeak this whole time. <clears throat> Thank you. So grace is, is favor. It's to be disposed to. It's to be inclined towards. It's, it's to be favorable towards. And this is what I thought a really beautiful part of this definition was, <clears throat> as, as we can see in the lexicon that it's leaning towards 
to share benefit. Grace is leaning towards to share benefit. We kind of get a picture of that when people will often say, especially when you're from the Bible Belt like I'm from, they'll say that God leaned down from heaven and, and showed us grace. He literally leaned down from heaven, stepped down off of his throne in heaven to show us grace. And we'll jump into that a little bit more here in a second. But this word grace is preeminently used um, of the Lord's favor. It's, it's him freely, freely, freely extending himself to give himself away to people. It's him freely extending himself to give himself away to people. In order to understand grace, we have to understand that grace is a gift. And what is a gift? If, if I, Anthony, I can't walk up to you and give you a gift and then say, here, I got you a gift. Now you got to pay me a hundred bucks. Wouldn't be a gift, right? It'd be a purchase. I, wouldn't, I couldn't walk up to Cody and say, hey man, I got a gift for you. Here, here's your gift. Wait, give me that back. A gift can't be taken back. A gift isn't something that you purchase. Um, A gift is when it's given, there's nothing owed in return because that's what makes it a gift. A gift, it it is free to the recipient, but it's very costly to the giver. I could give you a gift, mom, but it comes from my own wallet and it comes from um, something that was pretty expensive to me or something. It was very costly to me to be able to purchase that gift, to give it to you, but it was very free. Since it's a gift, I can never give you the gift and take it back. And the giver generously and voluntarily gives so that the recipient will profit. I'm going to say that again. The giver generously and voluntarily gives so that the recipient will profit. Go back to that definition of grace. Leaning towards so that somebody else might benefit, right? It's him leaning towards that we might benefit. And so in this definition of grace, him generously giving voluntarily so that the recipient will profit. It's undeserved, this grace is. This gift of grace is undeserved. It's unmerited. And grace continues, guys. It's, it's not, it's saving grace is, is saving grace, right? We, by grace we are saved through faith and that not of ourselves, but it is a gift from God that no one may boast before Him, right? Um, so that, that grace is what saves. However, grace doesn't just stop at the moment we first believe. You gotta understand that grace is empowering. That grace continues us uh, on day in and day out. It is, it's what keeps us going. It's what sustains us. Every breath that we breathe is mercy and grace. We grow in grace in the knowledge of God. That's part of our core values, right? We're growing in grace. We're growing in grace. It's active. It's empowerment. And so this is where joy actually comes into play. See, you got to understand, as I said before, that we can't understand joy, that joy cannot happen without their first being grace. And the biblical definition of, of joy, and this is, man, it's so awesome. When I learned this this week, man, I've been thinking about it day in and day out since I learned it, man. The biblical definition of joy, listen up, is the recog- <clears throat> the biblical definition of joy is the recognition of God's grace. The recognition of God's grace. In simple terms, as I would say it, because I can't hardly say that word, it is grace recognized, right? The biblical definition of joy is grace recognized. Uh, the Bible Project, for instance, uh, they, they define joy like this. Biblical joy is more than a happy feeling. 
It's a lasting emotion that comes from the choice to trust that God will fulfill His promises. Let me say it one more time. Biblical joy is more than a happy feeling. It's a lasting emotion that comes from the choice to trust that God will fulfill His promises. John Piper, he defined joy by saying that Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. Man, joy is this inner feeling that can't technically really be described, but we know it's produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world around us is what Piper says. So joy, grace recognized, a lasting, God-given, and God-produced more than an emotion as we see the beauty of the fulfillment of God's promises through Jesus Christ. Joy, the the recognition of the best gift ever given, recognizing uh, that that we are, are yet unworthy, but we're yet yet highly favored. It's recognizing that God's undeserved favor as he reached out towards us in his son, Jesus, who's also known as Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so this morning here in this room, in this little tiny local church, we're gathered here to worship God, to praise God, to recognize his grace that was laid in a humble manger as a newborn baby. We are here this morning to worship the king, <clears throat> the king with joy. Forgive me. And the scripture tells us scripture tells us here in this section of scripture in Luke that the angel who appeared to the shepherds said this, fear not For behold, I bring you good good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The good news this morning is that God became man and was born of uh, of a virgin. But it, it poses the question, and as we get to our very first point in the sermon, it poses this question. How does the birth of Jesus bring joy? How does the birth of Jesus bring joy? And I've got a couple subpoints to this. Uh, the birth of Jesus brings joy by this. His birth brings redemption. <clears throat> and I want us to notice how powerful the words are of the angel here in verse 11. And I'm just going to read it uh, uh, one more time here. In, in chapter 2 and verse 11 and, the read, and, and God's word says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In verse 12, and this will be a sign for you. You will find, and it, we'll stop there in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David who is Christ the Lord. And the angel, you see, he understands, you, you, we got to understand that the angel calls Jesus a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and he says that he was born unto us. And let let me just kind of unravel this a bit. Jesus is the Savior who is Christ, 
And so Christ, uh, in Greek, it, it literally means the anointed one. It, it's, it's the Greek way of saying the Messiah. And the Messiah is the one who was prophesied about in the Old Testament, who would come and do what? Deliver Israel from their bondage. Uh, deliver Israel. Be, be the one who would, <clears throat> who would deliver God's people. The promised deliverer. And not only that, but the angel says that he is the Lord. So in saying that he is the Lord, he's saying that he is sovereign, the sovereign, the one which literally means, this word Lord literally means the one with absolute ownership rights over everything and everyone. There's nobody else that has ownership rights but him and him alone. And so the angel is announcing that God has stretched out towards his creation by saying unto you, so unto you, he wasn't born for the angels. You guys understand that the angels don't need saving. Unto you, by sending his son into the world as a baby born by a virgin, a child is born that will save us from our sins. A savior, the one foretold in the scriptures that would deliver Israel, who is Christ the all-powerful one who rules over all, the Lord. So we have unto you a child is born in the city of David, a Savior who is the Christ, the Lord. <clears throat> it's a, a wonderful announcement, and it's intended to bring us great joy. And as the Scriptures tell us in, in verse 20, after, they, after the shepherds had went and, and, and saw Jesus, and they saw the sign... Uh, I'm going to go back and, and read verse 12 here real quick. See, after, after the angels came and they told the shepherds, and, and, and the angel came and told the shepherds that unto you this day uh, in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, a, a child is born. He said this, the, or the angel said this in verse 12, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, <clears throat> cloths, and in a manger. So they said, the angel said, hey, Jesus is born, unto you a Savior is born. And here's the sign that this is really true. When you leave your sheep here, out here in the field, and you go into the humble town of Bethlehem, you're going to go into a, a manger, and you're going to see a little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. And we know that because, like Cody had read, there was no room for him in the end. There was no room for Jesus at the end. So his mama, like any good mama would do, Wrapped that baby up in swaddling clothes, found a nice little bed of hay, and laid that, that baby in the manger, who is Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Lord, the one with absolute ownership rights. It's amazing. So after they had, had said that and they went and seen it, there in verse 20, we see their, their response. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. After they realized this grace that was given to them through Jesus Christ being born in, this, in the manger, through God coming to man, after they realized what was told to them by that angel and they left and they told Mary, or they told Mary and they told Joseph what, what was told to them by the angel and they left and they went on their way. They returned back to their sheep and they were glorifying and they were praising God. Amen for what had been told to them. It was beautiful. They had great joy. Grace recognized, amen? 
They recognize the grace of God and the birth of Christ, the Lord who brings redemption. And the birth of Jesus also brings great joy because, our, so our, our, our B to this point, our second subpoint, uh, it, it, the birth of Jesus also brings joy because his birth fulfills the promises of God. His birth fulfills the promises of God. So maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're wondering how a baby born in a manger in Bethlehem could bring great joy and redemption. You're wondering, man, how could a baby do that? And the only way for us to understand how the coming of Christ brings great joy and redemption is if we begin in the very beginning of our Bibles and examine <clears throat> one promise in particular. And this might be one of my favorite passages in the Bible. If you go to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, if you turn there, that's great. I'd like you to, to test my words even. But we see something happen here in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And it helps us understand the whole reason for the birth of Jesus. It helps us understand or for, Jesus, for God to become man and come to earth. It helps us understand the whole purpose of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and so what happens in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, this is the first uh, uh, gospel message ever recorded in the Bible. And you, you'll think, man, what are you talking about? He says, I will put enmity between you. So he's talking to the serpent. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The first gospel message. And you'll say, oh, that doesn't sound like the gospel to me. And we'll get there. So you have to understand that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We have to understand that, that after, in, in, a, in a total of six days, <clears throat> God created the earth and everything that is in it. And, and, and we know in John chapter 1, it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Meaning that the Word talking, to, uh, talking about Jesus. In the beginning, <clears throat> sorry, in the beginning <clears throat> was Jesus, and, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God, more or less, right? So we have to understand that, that God, who created the heavens and the earth, that is also Jesus. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they were all there in the beginning in creation. In, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, it says that the Spirit of God hovered over the, over the depths, uh, <clears throat> over the waters of the earth. Um, so we had God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all present in creation, so we see that God created the heavens and the earth. And, and in six days, he created everything in it, right? So the trees, uh, the bugs, what else, Anthony? What else he created? Uh, animals. animals. What about you, Naomi? What else did God create in the six days? Lamb. Yep. Uh Yep, and so trees and water and everything else, right? Over the course of six days, he created these things. And on the sixth day, he created man and he created woman. On the seventh day, he rested, right? And so he, and, and, he, he, he made a garden called the Garden of Eden. And he put the man in the garden. He put the woman in the garden. And, and he gave them everything, absolutely everything, except for one thing. What was it that they didn't give him or that God didn't give them? The tree of what? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? 
So he gave him everything except for this one tree. He said, you can eat of anything here in this, in, in, in this garden. I want you to work it. I want you to subdue creation. You can have everything here, but you cannot eat of this one tree. Why? Because God said not to. For when they eat it, they will become like us, is what he said. But God said not to eat it. And so one day, here comes the creeping, crawling, slippery slur, uh, serpent, right? Who we also know to be Satan. And what did Satan say to Eve as Eve standing by that tree? Did God really say? Did God really say? So he cast the seed of doubt in Eve's mind. And when Eve says, yeah, God said that I can't eat of this tree because X, Y, and Z. Because I'll die that day. And Satan says, thou shalt surely not die. So he changed it by one word. So he casts the seed of doubt. She, she believes Satan. She believes the serpent. She takes of the fruit. She takes it to her husband. They eat of the fruit. They realize what? They're naked, right? They're like, holy smokes, I'm naked. You're naked. How you doing? We're naked. We got to do something about this. So they take these fig leaves and they cover up their naked parts, right? And their own fuel... <clears throat> their own failed attempt of trying to cover up their own sin, right? And they run off. And God comes and he says, Adam, where are you, right? And, and he says, oh, I was over here. Why were you hiding? Because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? He, obviously, God already knows these things, but he knows that he ate of the tree. He said, did you eat of the tree? He says, it was the woman that you gave me, Lord. It's, your, it's her fault. It's not my fault. It's the, it's the term that us husbands like to try to say all the time, right? It's the woman that you gave us. It's not my fault, God. Long story short, we get to, to, to Genesis chapter 3. Because man disobeyed God, because man ate of the fruit, disobeyed God, he sinned. And therefore that sin brought death into the world. As, as Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Death came into the world. The curse came on the earth. There was prickle bushes and thistles, and by the sweat of his brow, Adam would work the ground. Uh, pain came into childbearing. All these different things. There became violence and curses and, 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 um, and wars. There became um, sickness and death. There became cancer. And, uh, there became all these things, all because of sin. All because of sin. So we had creation. We had the fall. Just as sin came into the world, as I said, through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. Adam brought sin in the world and all its sin. And so we see this picture here of redemption in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. We see a picture of redemption, and we see this picture of redemption in Genesis in chapter 3, and this is what happens. Adam and Eve covered themselves with what? With fig leaves, right? To try to cover their sins. What does God do in Genesis chapter 3? In Genesis chapter 3, I think it's right around in verse 20. Verse 21. Somebody read that out loud for me. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife. Where do you get the skin from? From an animal. He had to get an animal, right? And I, I mean, you ain't skinning an animal and keeping it alive. So he skinned that animal. He killed that animal. Blood was shed. 
death happened, skin was, was brought off that animal, and then God covered Adam and Eve. So what Adam and Eve tried to do to cover their own sins was not good enough. Our best works but filthy rags. We can't do this on our own. We can't cover our own sins. It's going to take an act from God. And for that to happen, it's going to take a sacrifice. And I think you guys might be following where I'm stepping, right? Because Jesus laid down his life on the cross, right? And Jesus um, um, paid it all. And all to him we owe. His blood had left, or our sin has left a crimson stain. His blood has washed it white as snow. And see, this is what we got to understand. That that picture is just a a shadow of what was to come. Of, of, Of God saying in Genesis chapter, chapter 3 and verse 15, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And then covering them with those garments is a, a picture of the gospel, a message of the gospel. And that's what's amazing. See, we have to understand that the bruising of the head and of the heel, that this is Jesus. Because Jesus was what on a cross? Nailed to a cross, hung up in the world, or hung up in the sky for all the world to see between two thieves, treated as a criminal, a man who's never done anything wrong in his life, a perfect, innocent human being, God man. He died on the cross for you and for me. He bruised his heel. But we know that Jesus didn't stay dead, right? He was buried in that borrowed tomb. But after three days, what did Jesus do? He rose from the grave, right? And so through that, Jesus, his heel was bruised by dying, being nailed to the cross. And he stomped on the serpent's head, bruising his head, claiming that death and sin and, 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 and the grave has no victory over me, right? That he's sovereign, that he has absolute ownership rights over it all. Amen? So that's the picture that we see. And it helps us really understand how a baby born in a manger in Bethlehem can bring us joy and bring redemption when we understand what happened in Genesis chapter 3 in the fall and the promise of God to send offspring from Eve to bruise the serpent's head that his, his heel might be bruised so that he might save us. It's amazing. It's amazing when we see it. And all the way from the beginning of the Bible... All the way to the end of the Bible and all the way to the end of eternity, we see God's promises being fulfilled, right? Time and time and time and time again, over and over and over. See, we've got to understand that, that God wanted us to be with him again. See, uh, after he cast Adam and Eve out of the garden, he guarded the garden with a flaming sword, with cherubim with a flaming sword, right? He guarded that, that tree, guarded the entrance to the garden, the tree, the tree of life, that nobody could eat it and live. He guarded it. But you see, God, God wanted us to be with him again. He wanted us to have access to that tree of life. He wanted to be with us again. And so he figuratively came with a tree of life, which is the cross, nailed himself to it. It was hung in the sky for the whole world to see, giving life to all who would believe on that cross, that tree, Right? And then we see even later on in in Revelation, a tree of life. Again, the tree of life. We're with God. See, God wanted us to be with him. So he sent his son to be with us. Does that make sense? Emmanuel, God with us. God wants us to be with him again. So he sent his son to be with us. In order that he might save all who would believe in him. You see, Christ lived, he died, he rose again, bruising the head of the enemy, displaying, like I said, that death has no hold on him, that he's victorious, that he's the sovereign king. 
And he made it possible for us to be with God again. So we have creation, we have fall, we have redemption, and now we have restoration. You see, it's full, full circle, guys. It began in the garden, and it's just back to the way that he intended it to be again. When we're with God in heaven, but no more sin, no more heartache, no more pain, no more mental health, no more brokenness, no more bullies at school, um, um, no more wars, no more rumors of wars. Uh, there's no more hunger, no more any of that stuff. In fact, it talks about that he will wipe away every tear. We're gonna be given a new name. That, that in fact, we, there's gonna be no need for a sun or for a lamp because the glory of the Son of God will radiate the place. We'll be in heaven with him as he intended it to be. The tree of life on each side, healing the nations. On each side of the river, healing the nations. So therefore, the, the birth of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, brings great joy because it's the plan of God to redeem the world that he loves so much. Right? John three sixteen. Do you know it? Right, that God, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. Amen. So God's plan, we have to understand, is not like a military strategy. Uh, in the military, it seems like they got plan A through Z. They're like, hey, if plan A don't work, <clears throat> we're gonna pivot, plan B. If plan B don't work, we got, we got a plan C. We're going to implement that joker. Plan C don't work, we're going plan, plan, uh, plan D. And if that don't work, we're going E. If that won't work, we're going F. And if that don't work, we're blowing the whole place up. Like, if, if this doesn't work, we have a backup plan over and over and over and over again because they're unsure. I mean, they're confident in what they do, but at the same time, they're like, hey, we need a contingency plan. Just in case this thing goes south, it gets out of control, out of our hands. We need to be ready to react, right? The military has these, these strategies like that. A lot of us have the same kind of strategies, right? We, we hope for the best, but we expect the worst, right? We, uh, if this don't go according to the way that I want it to, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. We have our own little plans. See, we have to also understand that God's plan of sending his son to the world isn't a Hail Mary throw in football with four seconds left on the clock. It's not a last-ditch effort that's like, hey, here we go, let's see if we can make this happen and I can throw it and see if we can't get a touchdown with four seconds left on the clock and win. No, no, no. See, God's one and only plan was to send his one and only son. And we see it all the way from Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And he wasn't ever, ever surprised. Besides all of that, God's playbook to redeem fallen humanity has one play in it, and it's carefully calculated. It's guaranteed to work. He's thought it out, and besides all of that, God said that it would be, and so it is. So God needs no one to remind him of what he said, and God needs no one to, to he, he doesn't have to run nothing by anybody to, to see if it's approved or not. See, God speaks, <clears throat> and all things react according to his will and good pleasure. God can do anything except for sin, which means that he cannot lie, which means the promises of God will not return to him void. He will fulfill all that he has spoken. He will fulfill all that he has spoken. I want you to know, <clears throat> when I looked it up, 
uh, for the number of prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. Um, some scholars find over 400. Um, some scholars have claimed to even find over 500. So anywhere between these, this number, whatever, the, the thing is, is that scholars have found well over 400 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament, of which Jesus has already fulfilled 300 of them, over 300 in his life, death, and resurrection. There's still some that he is fulfilling now and will when he comes and returns. So throughout the pages of Scripture, we come face to face with the reality that God keeps His promises. That in Christ, all the promises of God are fulfilled. That indeed, they are yes and amen. We recognize the undeserved, unmerited favor of God in sending His Son in the world to die in our place so that we might be with Him again forever. Our only possible reaction to that is joy. I need to say that again. When we recognize the undeserved, unmerited favor of God in sending His only Son into the world to die in our place so that we might be with Him again forever. Our only possible reaction is what? Joy. joy. Now, just to top joy on top of joy, I want you to think about who God is using in this Christmas story. Here in this section of Scripture in Luke chapter 2, we find the kind of people that God uses. And, and to begin with, we'll just talk about Joseph and we'll talk about Mary. They're very humble people, right? In fact, uh, in, in Mary's uh, Magnificat, uh, she, she even talks about being this uh, humble servant. She talks about in Matthew of being a servant. She's a very humble person. Um, and, and in fact, uh, Joseph, his, his, I guess in a way, stepfather, right, is, uh, is just a carpenter, a very humble man. He's a just man. And yes, they're, Joseph's from the lineage of David. Uh, they're from the lineage of David, but, but, but they're not rich. You've got to think about the kind of people that God uses here. They're not kings. They're not queens. They're not rich. They don't live in a mansion. Mary's just a virgin waiting to get married to Joseph. Joseph's just a carpenter building a house, preparing, them, uh, preparing a place for his wife. Just, she's just a humble servant. He's just a just man. You see, we've got to understand that they recognize grace. And because they recognize grace, they had joy. And in her joy, Mary's song of praise in Luke chapter 1 and verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in, re in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to his fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Joy. Recognize, or grace recognized. And we also got to think about who else he used. David, right? King David. In the Old Testament, we know that, <coughs> sorry, as Samuel went to go and find David to anoint this, this king, of, this man after God's own heart, of God's own choosing, when he goes to, to Jesse's house, which is David's dad, and he's more or less like, hey, show me all your sons. I got to figure out which one the new king's going to be. This one's strong. This one's big. This one's this and this one's that. That one's handsome. Whatever it is. And he's like, 
this all your sons? However many there are, I don't remember. Is this all your sons? He said, well, there's that little lad out there in the field tending the sheep. He said, go get him. So they went and got the little lad out there tending the field, or tending the sheep in the field, and he brought him. And he saw the Lord's servant. He saw the Lord's king. And it says that, that more or less, who, would, who was he that anybody should look upon him, right? And, 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 and more or less in, in the scriptures, as I'm paraphrasing, so please forgive me, Lord, he is saying, he's saying, what I'm seeking after, you guys aren't seeking after. What your eyes would set upon looking for might and strength and this great physique or this handsomeness isn't what the Lord's looking after. I'm looking after the heart. And he chose David. This humble lad, little lad in the field. And he used him. And from David, from David's line, God told David, he said, that I will always put a descendant on your throne that will reign forever. From David's line, as we trace that genealogy back, we will see that Jesus comes from the line of of David, that he is indeed the Lion of Judah. He is the one who will sit on the throne and reign forever and ever and ever. He is the one who's already seated on the throne, reigning forever and ever and ever. God used some humble little lad in the field and then we see the shepherds a bunch of lowly old people stinking people chasing sheep around all the time right kind of outcasty kind of people they lived on the outskirts of town a lot like country boys you know probably right people didn't really oftentimes weren't really associated with them these guys they didn't even have anything to bring to the king to jesus who was laying in a manger they was working the sheep out in this field. They were probably hired hands. I don't know. That's kind of a stretch. But, but you have to understand they had absolutely nothing. And when they heard the angel tell them that, that, that joy had come into the world, that Jesus was born in a manger and this is how you would find them, they left everything and they went and seen Jesus. And they had joy when they recognized that the angel, what the angel had said to them was true. They rejoiced, as I said earlier. And I want to remind us these kind of people that God chooses. In 1 Corinthians in chapter 1 and verse 27, it says this, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. That's why he chooses the addict, you know? That's why he chooses the outcast, you know? That's why he chooses the humble, the, the oppressed. That's why he chooses these people. God has chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. That's why God had stepped down off of his throne as a king to be born in the likeness of man in a humble manger in a humble town of Bethlehem, the smallest of the clans of Judah. You have to understand, God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. That God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human might boast in the presence of God. And verse 30, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He chooses the lowly things of the world, the weak things, the despised things, the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that the one who boasts may boast in the Lord. Oh, the mercy and the richness of God to appear first to humble servants of the smallest clan in Judah, Joseph and Mary. Oh, the mercy and the richness of God to appear first to despised and unimpressive shepherds in the field who had nothing to bring the king. 
Oh, the mercy and richness of God to make his grace known through lowly, despised, and rejected people. Our last point here. With all of this in mind, we have to ask ourselves this question. How can you have joy today? This Christmas Eve morning, as we celebrate the coming, the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ, how can we have joy right now in the middle of everything else that's going on around us? Wars, death, sickness, pain, betrayal, whatever it is, how can we have joy this morning? Well, the first way that we can have joy this morning is to recognize that God's words are true and trustworthy. And I know that I just showed you one passage of Scripture, and I know I just showed you one section there, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, how God fulfilled His promise. But you have to understand that on that hinge, on Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, came everything else. This promise of this offspring from Eve that would crush the serpent's head and, and crush, uh, or that would bruise the serpent's head and that his heel might be bruised. This unfolded into the, the covenant that he made with Noah, that he wouldn't flood the, the world with water again. He would preserve it for Jesus to come. That, and then also, it, it steps into the Abrahamic covenant where he says, from your offspring, from your seed, all nations of the world will be blessed. Uh, he's talking about the coming Messiah and this stemming into the Mosaic Covenant and then stemming into the Davidic Covenant that I was telling you guys about. It's over and over and over and over and over again, God keeping his promises. So in order to have joy today, no matter what circumstances we're going through, we gotta recognize that God's word are true and trustworthy. And we can do that because we know that all scripture, as Second Timothy says, is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting. And so here's the thing, all scripture, all scripture all scripture is god breathed it literally means to come from the innermost being of god every jot every tittle every a every z is god's word and it's trustworthy and it's true and so if you're in a situation right now where you feel like like you're in over your head like you can't take any more here's the thing god says i'll never leave you nor forsake you and god says that i loved you enough to send my son to die in your place God says that, 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 that I shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. That's the thing. He didn't leave us as orphans, as his word says. He gave us a helper, a counselor, the Holy Spirit, God with us. So to have joy today, we recognize that God's word are true and trustworthy. To have joy today, we recognize the kind of people that God chooses. And maybe you say, man, I'm nobody I'm nobody. I'm just a guy with a bunch of old tattoos. I'm just a guy with a, a criminal history. I'm just, I'm just a guy who used to struggle with addiction. I'm just a girl oh, trying to figure my life out, struggling with my identity at school. I'm just a, a, a woman searching for hope. I don't have anything to bring. I have no money. I have no prestige. I have no family, no pedigree. I've got nothing, God. What do you want with me? You're the poster child for Christianity. You have to understand that. 
because it's people that are despised and rejected. And it's, it's people that are lowly and ridiculed. It's the outcast. It's the shepherds in the field. It's the lowly, humble servant, uh, Joseph and Mary. It's the small lad out there tending the sheep that God chooses. He doesn't choose the boastful and the proud, the ones who says, I did this and did that so God would show me favor and mercy. No, he chooses the ones that are in complete surrender that says, I can do nothing without you, God, and I need you. These are the kind of people that God chooses, lowly, despised people, that his strength might be made known. So the rejoice in that because you can have joy today by recognizing that you are exactly the kind of person that God would choose and that God uses. And a third way that we can have joy today despite our present circumstances is that we would recognize our need for his grace. And if you're not a Christian here in this room, I wanna remind you that we all need grace, each and every single one of us. The Bible tells us in, in Romans in chapter three that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that there's no one righteous, no, not one, that there's no fear of God in our eyes as lost people, that we all need Jesus, that we all need saving, that we all need his grace. And the Bible tells us that, that salvation comes by grace through faith. We all need his grace for saving faith. And so if that's you this morning, I want you to understand and know that God's grace in sending his son, Jesus Christ, in the world, born of a baby in a little manger in Bethlehem, uh, and coming and living a sinless, perfect life and dying on the cross between two thieves and dying in your place and raising again after three days, ascending to the right hand of the Father and he's going to come back. That's the gospel message that we believe in, that we have faith in and trusting that he's the Lord, that he's sovereign over us. We're saved. So I invite you, if that's you this morning, to don't leave here without making it right with God. And I also want us to recognize that we have a very real need for grace this morning as Christians. We can't get by without grace. It's what sustains us. It's what empowers us. So have joy this morning. Have joy this morning. Have joy this morning because grace is recognized in the humble manger in Bethlehem. So I ask you, is God tugging on your heart this morning? Have you recognized his grace? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're grateful for your grace and for your mercy, and we're grateful, God, that you would allow us to come here to church and worship you, um, um, your coming, and God, that you would have us all here this morning. Um, God, that you have been so faithful to us as a humble little church, and we just pray, God, that you would that we would continue to trust you, that we continue to have joy in, 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 in this church planting experience because of the way that you have shown your grace to us, that God, we would continue to have joy just as Christians because we've come to understand and know the grace that was, was made known to us in a humble manger in Bethlehem. So God, I'm just asking this morning that you would place on the hearts of those around here in this room um, to, to pray to you, to worship you, to honor you um, this morning because they have recognized how amazing your grace is. So God, I thank you so much for sending your son. I thank you, Jesus, for coming and willingly laying your life down that we might be saved. And may we all know that we worship you this Christmas. In Jesus' name.
Amen.